0: Amen. Wow. Thank you, Dave. Pastor Dave. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, as Dave said, I'm Derek. I think I know most of you, but not all of you. So, um, yeah, I've lived here in the West Side for the last 15 years, and um, man, God has taught me just a lot, and just to have a deep love for this neighborhood um, and Gold Avenue Church, and just honored to be able to share this message. Um as a way of introduction, I want to read uh, the statement uh, for the gospel tool. A lot of us in this church are going through, as small groups, these, this gospel tool, uh, and this will frame the message this morning. It says this, the title is Living Out Our Restored Role. Prayer is always to be partnered with godly action, positively impacting the cities and nations in which God calls us to live by caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, standing against injustice and oppression, and representing Jesus, who is restoring all things. I want to, um, before we jump into our text this morning, just start with some context. Uh, it's, it's always important to know how the Bible fits into the, how these passages fit into the broader story of the book it's found in, the context. And this is kind of how I, I want us always to live is under the authority of Scripture that we live with with God's words guiding and shaping and directing us. Um, this morning we're talking about justice, and there are so many competing ideas today about justice, about what a just society looks like, and so it couldn't be more important, I believe, than to really start here and have a biblical foundation for what is biblical justice. So, a little context. Throughout the book of Isaiah, which is the book we're in this morning, God is speaking to his people, specifically Israel and Israel's leaders, about the coming judgment under the oppressive Assyrian and Babylonian empires. So, we know that Israel is in the context of political and social exile, They've been stripped of their nationhood, they've been removed from their homes, and they are under the oppression of these um, oppressive empires. So this sets the stage for Isaiah. Like many of the prophets, Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on Israel for their sin and is proclaiming a message of hope if they respond with humility, repentance, and obedience. He calls Israel out for their sins and promises that one day God's covenant with Israel will be fulfilled. They will have a new king, a spirit-filled servant king, and God's people will fulfill their role to be restorers, to be a blessing to all nations. That was the promise given to Abraham. That's the promise that Isaiah is Tapping into here. So to summarize, Isaiah is announcing judgment and hope, judgment and hope for God's people. He's calling them to step into their identity and their role as spirit led servants. You're going to hear that term come up. That is a central theme in Isaiah. Spirit led servants and restorers. Restoration, another key theme in the book of Isaiah. So in Isaiah 58, God is making a specific and stark contrast between these spirit empowered servants and the wicked. I'm going to give you the main point of this passage, and then we're going to unpack that a little bit before we get into the text. So the main point is this, of this text, Isaiah 58, is that the defining attribute of God's people is not doing religious activity, but doing justice and righteousness. Now, before we go any further, I want to unpack these two words, justice and righteousness. So this will be fun. Um... Who wants to learn some Hebrew? <laughs> All right, um, here we go. Um, just a caveat, I don't speak Hebrew, but I rely on scholars that do. And you don't need to know Hebrew to read and understand the Bible, but there are times where it's really helpful um, to know what the original context was um, so that it brings a deeper and truer sense to what the Bible's talking about. This is one of those times. So justice and righteousness. Start with justice. The Hebrew word, often translated justice, is mishpat. Turn to your neighbor and say mishpat. mishpat. That was very good. That was first time. That was awesome. Um, so mishpat. This word is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. This is a central theme to the Old Testament. Mishpat. Um, if I ask you to define, what do you think justice? is today. I think we would probably answer that question one way or the other. One, we would probably think of a courtroom where a sentence is given and justice is served. Uh, We might think of a social cause as well. That might be another direction, a social cause where there's the rights of the vulnerable and poor are being defended. Mishpat is both. Mishpat is both. So when someone does something wrong, our justice system gives a sentence to make it right. They're executing justice. Um, I was just executing a little justice over here in the corner. Uh, if any of you are parents, <laughs> you know, we need to teach our kids there's consequences for their actions, right? We're teaching them about justice. And this is one aspect of mishpat that is important. Um, but that's not the only way that mishpat is used. Oh, this is called... The fancy word is retributive justice. Say retributive. That one's harder, actually, than mishpat. And it's in English, so it's good. Um, And actually, uh, the primary way that mishpat is used is to describe caring for the most vulnerable in society. That is um, nine times out of ten how mishpat is used. So uh, a definition would be, uh, it is used to describe a code of law that protects the rights of the most vulnerable so that everyone in society is given the right to flourish. This kind of justice we can call restorative justice. Say restorative. Restorative. Cool. That one's easier. Uh, Restorative justice. So here's a few examples of restorative justice in scripture. One, Israel... Uh, in the Old Testament was commanded to give a tithe of 10%. Some of us might give 10% of our money to the church. Um, That's kind of where where that is found in scripture. Well, this was an Israelite law um, that 10% of the tithe was to go to the Levites, who were the ministers of the temple. The Levites were not given any land. And if they didn't have any land, they can't farm. And if they can't farm, they can't eat and sustain themselves. So this 10% tithe was given. And in scripture, that tithe is called the priest's mishpat. It's the priest's mishpat. Another example is the gleaning laws. So when harvesting grapes, anyone here harvest grapes? I never have, but I've learned about it. Um, I've seen some vineyards uh, in Israel um, on terraced on on a hillside. When they would harvest these grapes, the vines would be beaten, the ripe grapes would fall and the grapes left over um, would be harvested later by the poor who didn't have their own land or their own vines. Similarly, wheat fields, they would leave the edges of their field un, um, harvested, And Israel knew that that belonged to God, and God said that that belongs to the poor. And so people would leave that um, for the poor. This is referenced uh, as mishpat. Another example, um, over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, there's uh, what some scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable. And this is uh, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. If you read through the Old Testament, these four categories of society will come up over and over and over and over and over, and, over, and almost always connected to a command for Israel to do mishpat. So, Nine times out of ten, this is how it's used. It's used in the restorative sense, just defending the most vulnerable in society. Um, let's look at righteousness. The Hebrew word often translated righteousness is zedekah. That's a fun one. Okay, zedekah. Okay, good job. Um, when we think of the word righteousness, many of us probably think of, I know I I think of Immediately, I think of Christ's righteousness, his flawlessness, his holiness, my right standing with with God through Christ's righteousness. And this is absolutely true and accurate to the definition of righteousness found in Scripture. However, we also tend to overlook the fact that the Bible applies the idea of righteousness more broadly than that. Um, The word zedekah, righteousness, in the Old Testament is often used two ways. One, it's very often uh, attributed to God's character. God is righteous. It's also commonly used, especially in the Old Testament, to describe an ethical standard for right relationships between us and others, actually. And others. So it does describe our, our right standing with God, but is Very, very often, especially in the Old Testament, used to describe right relationship with others. So, these two words, mishpah and zedekah, they're used a lot together in the Old Testament, over 50 times. Um, You might recognize some Psalms. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. He loves justice and righteousness, Psalm 33. Or, uh, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So, we see these two words together a lot in the Old Testament. Um, They work together, zedekah and and, and Mishpat, we think about righteousness, Zedekah, as the ethical standard by which we live. It's a set of values, a set of ethics that determine what is right and what is good. And justice, Mishpat, this is how those values and those ideals play out in the world. They play out in real time with real people. So doing Mishpat is the outworking of Zedekah. Doing justice Is the outworking of righteousness. We are demonstrating righteousness when we do justice. So, coupled together, this repeated phrase in the Old Testament is almost exclusively referring to restorative justice. And the reason I'm stressing that point is I want us to weigh our modern understanding or maybe our assumptions about what justice is and what the Bible pretty clearly says. Because if the Bible mostly uses the term justice to refer to how we treat the poor and vulnerable in society, then that should be our starting point for a biblical definition of justice. I recently heard a simple definition of biblical justice by a theologian named Tim Mackey. He started this thing called the Bible Project. Remember that? Um, it's pretty consistent with how justice is not always, but is mostly used uh, in Scripture. He says, um, the Bible, or sorry, he says, biblical justice is essentially making other people's problems my problem, making other people's problems my problem. So, a slightly oversimplified, you're you know you're you're knowledgeable now. That's a slightly oversimplified definition, but most of the time that works um, in how Scripture uses that word. Okay, enough theology. Let's get into the word. Ready? Isaiah 58, we're going to read 1 through 12. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your tzedakah will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. The word of the Lord. So, right from the start, we know uh, Israel's got a big problem. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and the descendants of Jacob their sins. This is war language. Um, This is intense. It's like sirens blaring. Oh, no, we've got a big problem. What is God going to say to his people? So we read on. For day after day, they seek me out wait a minute we should be scratching our heads there for a minute they're they're seeking me wait they're seeking me out actually israel doesn't look that bad here he says they're seeking me out they seem eager to know my ways they're asking me for just decisions um for for righteous judgments they're asking me for mishpat is what that says they're eager for god to come near them so they're fasting and praying and humbling themselves so what exactly is the problem here well god's response is crystal clear He says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You want your voice to be heard, says God. And here's the crux of the passage. God is confronting his people very directly. You want your voice to be heard. Loose the chains of injustice. Untie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. The yoke is, by the way, an expression for oppression and bondage, which Israel would be very familiar with. If you want your voice to be heard, share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, the malicious talk, and spend yourselves on behalf of the needy and the oppressed. So to quickly summarize, Israel has the appearance of righteous servants, but they're forsaking the rights of the poor and the vulnerable within their community. So they're doing religion. But they aren't willing to make other people's problem their problem. They've forsaken justice and righteousness. This also reminds me of Jesus' rebuke to the Pharisees and the teachers of law in chapter 11. Um, Jesus broke a religious law, a religious ritual of washing before eating, uh, and he's confronted. And he says to the Pharisees, You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also, but now as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. He goes on, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. Remember the tithe thing that was called mishpat? And then look what Jesus says, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. In other words, you should have loved God without neglecting justice. This message is very clear and very sobering. Doing mishpat is not optional. Practicing religion while forsaking justice is actually wickedness in God's eyes. So that brings us to our world today. Whew. Okay. Okay. I rewrote this part of the sermon about several times. There is so much that could be said about issues of justice today, right? We all know it. We are constantly bombarded with competing ideologies about what a just society is and how to get there. It's a jungle out there, you could say. Uh, As important as those issues are, That's going to be a sermon for another day. Actually, probably a sermon series for another year because there's so much that could be talked about um, in this area of, of justice and what that means on a societal level. But this morning, we're going to start where Isaiah asks us to start in chapter 58 and examine our own hearts. That's where the problem was with Israel, and ultimately, that's where the problem is today. I want to share a dream that I had a few years ago. It's kind of a vulnerable moment. Here we go. So in the dream, I'm sitting on this really colorful blanket with my family, and we're having a picnic. It's very nice picnic. There's basket, food. We're eating, playing, laughing, having fun. It looks a lot like that, actually. Just imagine a colorful blanket underneath and me there, not up here. It was very, pl- it was very nice. It was just very nice. It was a very nice dream. Um, And then suddenly I realized that we were sitting on the edge of a swamp and everything around us was dead and rotting. Uh, And suddenly I didn't feel so nice anymore. And what I actually felt in the dream was convicted. Um, I felt that I needed to jump in the swamp, believe it or not. And that my trivial little picnic here paled in comparison to the the problem around us. And so I I weighed that. I didn't want to jump in the swamp, so I hesitated. And as I stood there in the dream, or sat there on my colorful blanket in the dream hesitating, all of a sudden, this line of young people came up from behind me and with like joy and laughter on their faces, sprinting, and they just started diving one after one into this swamp. And, And I saw them and I was inspired. And in the dream, I looked around and I dove in. I share this dream because this is something that uh, God has used to remind me of why I'm here. Why I'm here on earth, why I'm here on the west side, why I'm wherever God places me. Doing justice is hard. Doing justice is uncomfortable. It's really messy. It can be risky. But if my goal in life is to have a nice time with my family, doing the Christian thing, the Christian religion thing, I'm missing the point. I believe God is calling us to dive into some mucky, miry places. And I believe he's asking us to do it with laughter and joy, knowing that in doing so, we're representing the justice and righteousness, the mishpat and zedekah of God Almighty to a broken, hurting, and dying world. Our calling is not to show up on Sunday morning, drink coffee with our friends, sing some songs, listen to an amazing sermon by Derek, and just go on with our lives. It's so much more. I do believe God is graciously but fiercely confronting us this morning i believe that god is asking us to take inventory of our own hearts he's been doing this to me in preparation for this sermon so i want to actually invite us to listen to him right now and ask yourself god why am i hesitating to make other people's problems my problem I want us to sit with that question. Why do I hesitate to make other people's problems my problem? Am I too busy? Am I distracted by life's comforts? Am I chasing some worldly gain? Am I afraid of what it will cost me? Am I afraid of what friends or family or others might think? Maybe I'm listening to other voices that are telling me how to care for the poor rather than listening to God's voice. Maybe I'm just consumed by my own problems. I also recognize that some of us may be sitting here this morning that have been victims of injustice. We haven't received the mishpat that was due to you because you are an image bearer of God. And I want to paraphrase Exodus 3-7 to you where God says, I see your affliction. He sees it. I see your affliction. I've heard you crying out because of your oppressors, and I know you are suffering, and I have come to rescue you. And I believe not only will he rescue you, but he plans to restore you and to use you to bring restoration to others. Listen to the blessings that follow when God's people do justice and live righteous lives. One, he restores their identity and their relationship with him. Your healing shall spring up speedily. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The Lord will answer your call. The Lord will guide you always. God will satisfy your needs. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, a spring who never fails. God is promising restoration of identity and relationship with him as we obey this command to do justice. He also restores the role of being a light, of being these spirit-led servants, of bringing restoration to the world. He says your light will break forth like the dawn. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be as the noonday. Your righteousness, your Zedekiah will go before you. And he says this, you will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundation, be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And one thing to notice here is God doesn't just say, you're going to go repair some broken walls. He says, I'm going to call you restorer of broken walls. Do you feel the difference? He's speaking identity. It's not just a command, go do this. This is... This is going to define you. This is what you were created for, is to be a restorer, to be a rebuilder. So doing justice is not only a central theme to the book of Isaiah, but a central theme to the gospel and the whole Bible. God is making it clear to us this morning that justice is to be central to the life of the church and each and every one of our lives today. I want us to understand justice... Mishpat is not a side issue in the Bible. It's not optional for Christians. Doing justice and living righteous, obedient lives is central to the biblical story from Genesis to Revelation and finds fulfillment in Christ. And has to be a defining characteristic of the church today. I believe the Bible wants us to see this. So this is kind of cool. I wish I could go more in depth, but the last 10 chapters of the book of Isaiah are written in a poetic structure called chiasm, which I'm not going to explain, but it all comes to a point in Isaiah 61. Does anybody know what Isaiah 61 is? One of my favorite passages. We named our daughter Isla, and that word is in there. Um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes. Me. To preach good, good. good news to the poor. Proclaim release for the captives. Yes. So this is Isaiah 61, and this is the passage that Jesus quotes when he begins his earthly ministry. This is like Jesus' mission statement. And we see this way back in, in Isaiah already. I, the, the author of Isaiah is already saying, this is the central point, guys. This is what you need to pay attention to. <clears throat> Doing mishpat and zedekah is Jesus' mission statement. His life serving the poor and marginalized. You see this over and over. The oppressed, the imprisoned. This is Mishpat and Zedekah at work. His death and resurrection, accomplishing Mishpat and Zedekah in a way that we never could. Let me unpack that a little bit. Ephesians two five says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, rich in mercy. Jesus, rich in love. Jesus, rich in grace. Jesus, rich in kindness, meets us in our poverty, so poor we didn't stand a chance, so poor we were dead. And Jesus saves us. Jesus resurrects us. He restores us in our dignity and unites us with God. And for what purpose? He wants us to show the world what God is like. Now, our response to the grace of Jesus is to extend his mercy, extend his love, extend his grace and his kindness to a broken world, to meet people in their poverty, yes, their spiritual poverty, but also in their physical poverty, and do justice, empowered by the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, full of gratitude and joy for what he has done on the cross. Okay, if we've learned anything this morning, I think it's that we can't ignore this thing. We can't ignore justice. So how do we, Gold Avenue Church, move forward? There's a few things that came to mind as I was thinking and praying about what do we need to hear as a community as we are thinking about how to live this justice and righteousness out and the first step, I believe, is just simple, but so profound, is repentance. I think as I was preparing this, I felt convicted at times. And if, as you are hearing this word, feel that conviction. It's an invitation to respond with humility. If you have been forsaking Mishpat and Zedekah, if you have hesitated to make other people's problems your problem, bring it to the Lord, confess that to him. He is gracious and is going to invite you and lift you up to be that humble servant that he's called us to be. The second thing is read the Bible and reflect on your core values. So again, I mentioned it before, there are so many competing ideas out there about what justice is and how this looks in our society. And we need to be rooted in scripture on this issue. Again, this could be an entire sermon series uh, in itself, But just know this, we don't get to choose who the vulnerable are. God just requires us to extend mishpat. So regardless of your political persuasion, regardless of of where you tend to land on social issues, no, we don't get to choose who the vulnerable are. We are simply called to extend justice, to extend righteousness. Okay, the third thing is listen. And I think listen on two levels. One, listen to the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. And two, listen to those that are living in the struggle, living in the swamp, so to speak. This is a call to get uncomfortable. This is a call to invite the poor into our lives and simply listen, to listen to their stories, to listen to the pain, the hurt, even the anger. To look around and ask yourself, who are those that are marginalized in our society? Who are those who are marginalized right here in our neighborhood? Who are those who are susceptible to be taking advantage of? And I guarantee, if you are willing, the Holy Spirit will guide you into those conversations. He will guide you to those people, and let's be willing to make their problems our problem, and allow the Spirit to lead us in doing justice.